This is uh, Jim Fetzer, your host on The Real Deal. In Dallas, Texas, three shots were fired at President Kennedy's motorcade. It looks like one of those scenes of an old building being purposely dynamited and blown. When we are successful, I'm just a patsy. And we will be. You ready to make, uh, to come to the microphone so we'll listen up. A new world order. So my name's Robbie Parker. It might have appeared that way, but from my close-up inspection, uh, there's no evidence of a plane having crashed anywhere near the Pentagon. Let us never tolerate outrageous conspiracy theories concerning the attacks of September the 11th. President Kennedy died at 1 p.m. Live from the Media Broadcasting Center. 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 This is uh, Jim Fetzer, your host on The Real Deal with my special guest today, Dennis Camino. We're talking about the latest development, which is the FBI is not going to recommend the indictment of Hillary Clinton. Dennis, if you look at the first slide, you see how bad this is because we've had multiple reports. I mean, this has been going on for a year now. Hillary Clinton's emails packed with America's secrets stored on a company wide open to computer wide open to hackers run by morons, whistleblowers reveal. Her secret homebrew server has dogged her presidential campaign. Questions have been raised over whether the secrets could have been hacked. The answer is they have been. Now the Daily Mail online investigation reveals that the firm that stored her backup emails was dogged by security lapses. Data Incorporated in Norwalk, Connecticut was paid to mirror the server by mom-and-pop IT firm Platte River Networks, which was given a contract to look after it. Dato Incorporated held emails for almost three years. The whistleblowers say it was hacked itself, and customers complained about seeing other clients' data. Staff did not have to change passwords, left unsupervised computers unlocked, and some were hired from Best Buy. No comment from Clinton campaign on what they knew about Dato Inc. Dennis, we know her servers were hacked. Gossifer. Uh, Guccifer, who was a Romanian hacker, was in her server, and they said there were at least 10 others in there at the same time. Uh, he revealed uh, doodles by Bill Clinton because Hillary was using a server previously used by Bill. Uh, I've seen them myself. Uh, Russia has some 20,000. I can't believe this, Dennis. Well, as you might imagine, there there's rules and regulations about uh every aspect of data handling that, that the government does and that uh, the State Department probably has a manual at least a half an inch thick about how to deal with this stuff right down to the minutia about how to secure servers and who's responsible and how frequently the security has to be checked and, and things of that nature and it's quite clear that virtually no attempt to adhere to any of that stuff was made so Big question here is, is, is that when the U.S. government uh, is responsible to do data audits on uh, on politicos and people in the State Department, you'd think that they would periodically, over a period of a year, spot check uh, this particular outfit uh, to see what was going on. They would have found the deficiencies and said, hey, wait a minute, uh, we, we, we see many, many security uh lapses here that uh, reveal that you've actually compromised classified material. It should have been put to bed a long time ago. This is a classic example of how incredibly incompetent and out of control the federal government is 
because it's indicative of the fact that they really don't do routine security auditing of uh, people in the State Department and probably almost every other federal agency. So uh, what we have here is it's, uh, you know, everything goes, uh, nobody's accountable for anything, uh, everybody shrugs their shoulders and gets a goofy look like, what, you know, who, what do you mean me, you know? Nobody seems to have any idea who's really supposed to be in charge of the data security for the State Department. And uh, and why they let this go unabated uh, for so very long without actually performing an audit and catching it way, way, way before it got out of control like this. We'll check out the second slide. Hillary's IT guy. This is a guy who set it up for her. Him, for her, uh, was given immunity to testify before Congress and then pled the fifth a hundred and twenty-five times, Dennis, a hundred and twenty-five times. How can this not be outrageous to the American public when you have a real IT guy, uh, you know, pleading the fifth over 125 times? Judge Napolitano has been quite brilliant about this. He explained Hillary did not even have a password, that she'd been given instruction that she knew that the classification degree is a function of content, that it wasn't a function of whether or not it was stamped, top secret, secret, or classified that she even had a, a correspondent who was having trouble something sending her site because it was stamp classified. She had him snow pack it out so he could send it to her anyway, that she has even sent such sensitive information as the names of covert CIA agents over this completely insecure password, Dennis. I find this, I find this offensive, disgusting beyond belief. This is a classic example of make up the rules as you go along and adhere to very few of them, even after you make them up. And I have to tell you this, uh, going back to things that I encountered in the Navy uh, with breaches of security by contractors that I worked for, uh, I I actually inadvertently stumbled on a a major security problem at the Naval Air Station uh, Oceana and, and Virginia Beach and I uh, brought it to the attention of the uh, operational line of uh, uh, the, the, the highest levels of defense uh, intelligence, and then uh, there was a major inquiry about it. But had I not discovered it by walking into uh, a, a place called, uh, you know, FactsFact and Squadron Control uh, facility where it was really basically a very highly cl- uh, secure uh, uh, place where classified material could be handled, uh, Finding classified material sitting on top of desks uh, with uh, secret no form stamped all over them and higher classifications with, uh, you know, uh, Hispanic uh, janitors from a contractor actually in the office with nobody else in there when I walked in. That, that's the kind of stuff that goes on in the government. And uh, they, the only time they ever really get serious about security is if somebody actually stamps their feet and goes, look, look, I found something. And then the only thing that they do after that is they try and find the lowest level scapegoat uh, that they can toss it onto. But they don't really, uh, they don't apparently really take the, the, the security issue very seriously. And my event, I'd even go so far as to venture that this isn't just in the State Department. This is probably in every other uh, federal agency, including the Internal Revenue Service, uh, which handles highly uh, uh Sensitive uh, information about uh, all the all the people in the United States that actually bother to file a tax return. So it's not a surprise to me that uh, foreign hackers like uh, this uh, Romanian guy that uh, they've been trying to pin everything on, Lucifer, yeah, Lucifer, that, uh, that that they put so much on him when 
In fact, everybody and his brother in China and in other countries, probably quite a few people in, in Russia and the Ukraine, uh, probably had uh, unlimited access to, to these servers, and nobody bothered to look at IP addresses coming through routers, going, who, who are these people looking at this stuff? Why are they looking here? What are they trying to achieve? You know, that's, that's the kind of things that security audits uncover, and it's a, it's a very clear indication that not only is the uh, entire uh, security apparatus of, of the United States federal government completely missing in action, uh, but the, the mechanisms and the personnel that are supposed to be conducting the audits are, are probably surfing porn on their computers to not doing a job, because if they were doing their job, they would have discovered this stuff a long time ago. It would have... It would have been, uh, you know, put to bed uh, quite quite a while back, and there would have been heads rolling for it. But apparently, there's none of these things going on, and it uh, it doesn't surprise me. Like I said years ago, when I was working uh, on very highly classified stuff with the Department of the Navy, I uncovered a major security breach where uh, highly classified documents were being whited out to to, to, to completely mask out the the level of classification. They were being xeroxed. And handed out like uh, like regular brochures and pamphlets when they had highly sensitive uh, secret or top secret uh, classifications on them. So to me, it's not a surprise. It doesn't shock me. But uh, what they usually do when these kinds of things hit the uh, you know get to in the hands of the press, where the press reveals what they know, the next thing that will occur is that the very lowest person on the totem pole will get hung out to dry, and all the intermediate people in the middle of the whole thing are get they get away to uh, walk and. Uh, Mr. Pagliano here that, uh, that uh, took the fifth over and over again, uh, my guess is that he'll be the lowly peon that gets uh, everything hanged on him like he was the reason, and the reason why he's been advised to, to, to exercise his, his uh, uh, you know, rights to remain silent is his attorney has told him, don't say anything. Uh, basically, do not incriminate yourself even though you have total immunity because they don't want him to reveal anything about what he knew about the lack of any procedures where he worked. In other words, he's, he's going to take the fall to protect Hillary Clinton. That's clearly what's going on here. And in the end game, everything will point at him as being the, the bad guy that created all this problem. Which is, of course, completely ridiculous, since he was her obedient servant. He was doing exactly what she wanted done. And therefore, he's withholding information by pleading the fifth because it would make it obvious that she was the responsible party about which there can be no doubt. Right, but like I said, the, the, you know, his role here is strictly to completely take the fall for her. That's, pre that's pretty clear to me. Now, look how embarrassing this is, Dennis. Just a few d days ago, L Loretta Lynch, the Attorney General of the United States, had a private meeting with Bill Clinton aboard her plane. Uh, and this is allegedly inadvertent. It had to be planned in advance. I mean, this is completely disgusting, Dennis. And here he got Bill Clinton, you know, he, he, bad enough. Bill has committed many offenses. He was involved in drug dealing in Mena, Arkansas. He has a history of sexual abuse of women. He was thrown out of Oxford for raping a fellow student. I mean, the, the, it, and he should be meeting with Loretta Lynch. I can't any, think of anything that would have a greater appearance of impropriety. Well, like I said, it, uh, if if these people actually cared about what it looks like to the general public, they would probably be a little bit more discreet about how they approach this kind of thing. But uh, they clearly have no, they have absolutely no concern what the what the American public will think about this because. When this lady went so far as to actually go on board the, a private aircraft to have this meeting, 
she had to be aware of the fact that there were cameras that, that were pointed at her. There were many, many sets of eyes that knew exactly who she is and what she, you know, what she's doing there. She had absolutely no business going to, to have a meeting with him uh, under these circumstances. And furthermore, because of her uh, her position in what I call the Department of Just Us, uh, this is a, a clear breach of her fiduciary responsibility as a head of that agency. And uh, this, in a real world, if we had a real government, uh, this meeting that she did would have immediately resulted in her impeachment and removal from office. Is what would have happened? And it has nobody's nobody's asking for that, but it should be going on now. Yeah, I, I don't understand it. Is no one responsible in the entire Congress of the United States, no senator, no member of the House? Because, Dennis, look at the next story here. Fairly stunning, but the FBI ordered there be no photos, no pictures, no cell phones during Clinton-Lynch meeting. In other words, it was all set up deliberately, intended to be kept private, but, of course, it came out. And in my opinion, this is shocking confirmation of dereliction of duty. But like here, here again, it doesn't matter to what level the uh, the incompetence and and the malfeasance rises to, because who is going to inform the the absolute letter of the law? Nobody is there. When you have the highest official in the U.S. The United States government uh, uh, prosecutorial arm that, that that's supposed to deal with enforcing laws, virtually breaking every rule you can possibly break. Uh, virtually sweeping law completely underneath the rug and doing what she wants with impunity without anybody saying anything about it. That should tell the American public that virtually nobody in this country, all the way to the level of the president, is responsible for their malfeasance and their wrongdoing. Nobody is responsible. All the way up the food chain, all the way including the president of the United States. I mean, here's the chief law enforcement officer. Chief Law Enforcement Officer of the United States violating her oath, creating the appearance of impropriety and covering it up by directing the FBI to order no photos, no pictures, no cell phone photos, where it isn't even the FBI's job to tell journalists what photos they or citizens can or cannot take. I mean, that's outrageous, Dennis. But this is this is the most transparent government ever. Didn't you know that, Mr. Fetcher? That uh, according to our president, that the you know that the one thing that he was going to ensure above and beyond the Bush administration is that we were going to get transparency. This is about as transparent as a blob of obsidian, uh, uh, you know, uh, black tar. I mean, you can't get any more ridiculously uh, uh, shielded and covered than, than than we are here, where virtually every step of the way they take measures to completely. Uh, obfuscate and uh, uh, real details, and they and they they completely sweep all rules and regulations out of the way to do what they want. Not not to not to belabor the obvious, but as even Bill O'Reilly observed, if there was nothing wrong with the meeting, if it was completely innocent, then why were federal agents instructed to ban no one take pictures? Well, like I said, we have the most transparent administration in history, right here. You can see it's it's transparently corrupt. In other words, it's, it's, it, it, they, 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 there's no sleight of hand when they're actually reaching in your you know in everybody's pocket and doing doing whatever they want because these people here work for us. They are paid by the taxpayer, and we expect some accountability. We expect uh, some adherence to rule of law. We expect uh, a modicum of of, uh, of procedure being being. Uh, 
adhered to relative to uh, processes that, let's say if, if you or I were, were to commit to minor offenses in the eyes of the law in the towns that we live in, if we tried to pull these stunts where we, we demanded uh, in front of a judge that, uh, that we'd uh, confiscate cameras and nobody could write any notes and not even the, the transcription person uh, could, could do anything, the, the judge would look at you like, you know, what do you want? Where did you come from? What planet did you come from? Come from, but the highest levels of this government routinely on on a repetitive, you know, blow by blow basis do it over and over again, and there's nobody that's going to tell them not to do it. Well, Dennis, you know, when I say that she was uh, transmitting the most highly secretive and classified program, that's just not my opinion, but the Inspector General of this uh, of the Department of State. I mean, this is completely outrageous, Dennis. This is a public document from a top Inspector General to senior lawmakers. Well, here again, uh, you know, by making uh, a ruling, which is clearly uh, apparently obvious to even the most untrained observer, uh, my guess is that he's completely stunted his growth within government uh, to the to the point where he'll either be remem- uh, remembered uh, very fondly in, in the rearview mirror as one of the people that was uh, forced out of their job because they actually had the audacity to, to, to state the obvious, that there's been absolutely no adherence to, to procedures here regarding the kind of uh, handling of classified material that, uh, that anybody else in any other branch, say in the military, would have been found guilty of. They would have probably been doing time in Leavenworth already for this kind of criminality. Here, here's part of the report. Yesterday, the State Department announced it was withholding in total some 22 Clinton emails and 70 mail strings because they were classified top secrets. The documents were not merely redacted, that is, blacked out. They were completely withheld. One source, not authorized to speak on the record, suggested the intelligence agencies are operating on the assumption there are more copies of the Clinton emails out there. And even releasing a partial email would provide enough clues to trace back to the original, which could allow the identification of special access programs intelligence. Dennis, special access programs intelligence, most highly qualified, secure in the American intelligence community. Well, here again, like I said, when you when you started to uh, peel back the, back the layers of the onion that uh, reveal a very very rotten core here. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me that virtually every single foreign government on this planet, uh, even to the smallest ones that don't even really have a data collection or an intelligence uh, collection, collecting capability or human uh, collecting, collecting capability on the street, uh, th- th- these guys probably all they had, to, all they required is an internet uh, capable computer to, to, to get into these documents. And if the United States wants to do this kind of stuff with this kind of highly classified material, why don't they publish it in every newspaper on the planet? I agree. Why have any documents that are secret or top secret or classified or uh, any level of classification above that, whereas you and I both know there are many levels of security higher? But look, look, look at this just for an illustration. Declassified emails reveal NATO killed Gaddafi to stop Libyan creation of the gold-backed currency, the gold dinar. It had nothing to do with Muammar Gaddafi abusing the Libyan people. Dennis, this is a disgrace. And Hillary was right there pushing this, promoting the idea of going into Libya and slaughtering Gaddafi, 
he actually was sharing the wealth of Libya with the Libyan people that had national health care, national public education, national warehouses where anyone who needed food could go and get all the food they needed. If you had a medical problem that couldn't be dealt with in Libya, they would fly you and a friend or relative anywhere in the world, all expense paid to have it dealt with. He was organizing the great waterworks project that would have turned North Africa into a veritable oasis. And having abandoned the petrodollar was introducing the gold dinar, which would have rapidly become the currency of all of Africa. And here it turns out in Hillary's emails, we learned that it was a Western banking interest, read that Rothschilds, didn't want the gold dinar, and that France was upset that Gaddafi's influence in Africa was going to increase, where they wanted to reserve Africa as their private neo-colonial province. This is disgusting beyond words, and it's all there in Hillary's email. And what is more indicative of who really owns the United States government, lock, stock, and gefiltefish, it's the Rothschilds that are calling the shops here. Uh, and when the United States acts like a proxy assassin, to eliminate the world leaders like this just to do what the Rothschilds expect so that the Rothschilds have total global hegemony over all currency and debt usury on every single continent uh, that, that, uh, that cannot be removed. Uh, anybody that opposes the Rothschilds uh, apparently uh, gets a knife shoved up their rear end and, and gets assassinated uh, with puppets like uh, Shillery, as I call her, uh, being the, the strong man that actually eliminates them using the United States Armed Services and other mercenary forces to actually do the Rothschild bidding. So if anybody has an illusion about who runs the United States government, they shouldn't look any further than the end of the nose of the Rothschild sitting in a mansion just outside London. That's who controls it. That's who calls the shots here. And by the way, I understand that the, the, the Baron Rothschild has declared that he's not going to allow the U.K. to exit from uh the EU, Dennis, that he's going to stop Brexit. That's exactly true. That statement was made within the last 48 hours, actually. And it doesn't surprise me because he knows that uh, when everything's all said and done, he can pull the necessary strings across the European zone in every single country that's a member of what I call ZEO-NATO and get exactly what he needs done to make sure that Britain doesn't leave. And in the aggregate, I'll even go so far to say that some technicality in the not-so-distant future will prevent the Brits from invoking Article 50 to get out of the European Union. It'll block their their petition completely, and they won't be leaving. In other words, in, in a year, nothing will have changed. If, if anything, what will happen is that the ability for these other nations that are part of what I call uh, the European Union, the other countries that desperately want to get out before the ship sinks, they'll be blocked from even launching petitions to get out. In other words, the Rothschilds had a wake-up call here that they couldn't completely rig the election, so that what they'll do is they'll do an end-around and completely uh, make sure that the election is null and void. It doesn't matter what the British people thought, uh, that they wanted to self-determine what their nation was going to do. That does not matter. The Rothschilds have run their country for an awful lot longer than they have been running this one by remote control outside of London. And the Brits are going to get the short end of the stick. They'll be severely punished for voting to get out of the European Union. And the Rothschilds will be the ones that are going to be the uh, the whip carriers, making sure that they heal and adhere. Well, get this, Dennis. The situation is so severe that Obama is already planning to pardon Hillary. And I believe that this FBI announcement was made now 
because Obama wants to begin uh, campaigning with Hillary. In fact, I believe today was supposed to be the first day of his campaign with Hillary. I think it's no coincidence that you have this FBI announcement that there will be no prosecution when Obama is beginning to campaign with her. Well, it's pretty crystal clear that it doesn't matter uh, what level uh, of uh, hubris that this woman displays uh, to what degree of support she'll be uh, supported by the the, uh, the puppet that actually holds the uh, the keys to the White House uh, currently today? Uh, there there are no stops that they will not pull out to ensure that she has a clean sweep uh, in November and that she'll be installed in the White House as the next president, or I call it puppetent of the United States of America, virtually a Rothschild's proxy. Well, it's all completely disgusting. In fact. Uh, part of the discussion here was that Obama was actually going to eliminate confidential as a level of classification because most of the documents she had were confidential, but she had plenty that were much higher, not only secret and top secret, but even the special access programs status. It's, I mean, it's, it's obscene. And, of course, they arranged for the FBI to, uh, to question her on Saturday of the 4th of July weekend so it would receive minimal public notice absolutely that's the way our government works is that uh they they're they're in a role uh, now where they'll do anything that they have to they'll break any rule that they have to and they know quite surely beyond any reasonable doubt that it doesn't matter to what degree that they rise to the level of uh, of beyond hubris uh, to, to to criminality and the american people as i call them will be just uh, it, it doesn't matter what the American people think about the degree of criminality this woman uh, has committed. They'll still be able to get away with it because virtually what voice does the American public have to stop it? How does the American public say, okay, enough is enough. We want rule of law restored in our country. We don't want special privileges granted to rule breakers and lawbreakers that virtually hang out all of our intelligence apparatus uh, to, to exploitation and assassination in foreign countries. And if I were a member of the Central Intelligence Agency, by the way, I have no use for them whatsoever. I think they should be disbanded. But if I were a foreign service officer that was actually plugged into the CIA and was actually a de facto agent, uh, I'd be livid about the fact that uh, every single one of their lives are compromised by the kind of action that this particular person takes and the, the fact that the United States president will go to any and all extreme measures to protect her in this level of criminality. They'll make sure she's completely covered. Look at this, Dennis. Even, even the Russian news service, even Sputnik News, was reporting that Hillary might spend her first term in prison based upon the presumption that there was a modicum of justice left in the Department of Justice to which you refer as the Department of Just Us. That's right. That, I've been calling it the Department of Justice for a very long time because it doesn't represent uh, this lady holding the, the, the scale in her hand where there's, uh, there's, there's any, uh, any inferred uh, possibility that anybody on the street is going to get anything remotely called justice, spelled J-U-S-T-I-C-E. It's just us. Two words, should be hyphenated, and it should be crystal clear to the American public that those are privileged, those of power in this country are above the law. They do not have to adhere to any rules or regulations. And bear in mind, Dennis, Hillary did this for 
not only for her own convenience, but because by using a private server, it was uh, she would be able to evade freedom of information requests coming from citizens who want to know how their own government is being conducted. That doesn't surprise me. It's a, it, like I said, there's in, in cases where there may not be a rule that exists to govern what can be done, they'll make it up, and and the rule is made of rubber. It doesn't have you know, from day to day, these things can change. It all de- it, it all depends on the whims of, of the powerful in this country, what's going to happen and what's not. But you can rest assured that if a common everyday citizen committed anything remotely close to one-tenth of the degree of, of uh, incredible uh, hubris and stupidity and out-of-control, uh, you know, lawlessness has been going on in their government for a long time, they'd be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law sent to prison, probably served 10 to 15 years for the kind of breaches that these guys have done, they wouldn't see daylight for a very long time. And that's the the travesty here, that the average American person out there is held to a higher standard than these puppets in our government that work for Rothschilds. Now, now here's the ultimate traitor in this instance, FBI Director James Comey, who said his agency, and this was just announced as we began our conversation, will not recommend criminal charges against Hillary Clinton for use of a private server, but called Clinton and her staff extremely careless. Now, this is insane, Dennis. It's not extreme carelessness. It's a violation of the law. As Judge Napolitano had explained, this is not an offense that entails criminal intent. If you misuse the, the classification of documents, which is internal to the content, not a function of whether they've been so stamped, then you are in violation of the law. I was appalled when William Weld, who's running on the libertarian ticket as vice president, has an extensive legal background, said he didn't see any case for Hillary abusing email because she showed no criminal intent. But it's very clear that intent is not an element of the crime. Is that something William Weld and James Comey do not understand? I think that, like I said, when it comes right down to it, uh, they'll they'll bend the language in a way that makes it sound like because the person did this unintentionally, which I question because every single breach was intentional. Every single breach was a, a product of I don't need to abide by any rules. I can make them up as I go along. And furthermore, if I get caught, it won't matter because the people that are supposed to enforce the law will do what I tell them to do. That's what's really going on here, and that's why it's an insult to the intelligence, if we had any left in this country, of every citizen looking at this and going, where's rule of law? Where's rule of law? We don't have it. It left the station a long time ago. And that's why Donald Trump's responses seem to me to be spot on. FBI directors said crooked Hillary compromised our national security. No charges. Wow. The system is rigged. General Petraeus got in trouble for far less. Very, very unfair. As usual, bad judgment. Uh, he's really got a powerful case for the corruption of the system, Dennis. Uh, I think the American people are going to be really profoundly affected by this. Well, I got to differ with you on that uh, simply because the American people are so disconnected that when they see this stuff on television, they might as well be broadcasting using the language Swahili uh, versus English because the American people do not understand what this is all about. If you were to ask a uh, hundred people on the street, what comprises the, uh, the, the the issues with national security relative to Hillary Clinton's breaches uh, with the, her private server? 
I venture to guess you get a lot of shrugged shoulders and blank looks on people's faces, and that's the reason why they get away with it. The average American person has no idea the reason why we classify documents and why we don't just say, here, hand this stuff out. It doesn't matter. And as a matter of fact, I'm going to go one step further uh, that uh, we, we should, as a nation right now, probably declassify every single document. Because the assumption is that the the, uh, the the breaches were solely on Hillary's server is is a joke and it's absurd on its face. If you're going to go so far as to bend the rules for for such an egregious breach like this, and not look at other agencies very closely and see where the other breaches were happening, because if the dog wasn't barking about this one, the dog isn't going to bark about the rest. We have a totally ineffectual system relative to safeguarding national security interests and. It's inexcusable because what this does is it opens the United States up to espionage. It opens it up to de facto uh, threats other than the, the, the fake terrorism that they foment under the, uh, the assumption that the repeal of Smith Munt Act of 1948 gives them a, a carte blanche to go ahead and, and do whatever they please relative to propaganda. What we have now is we have a country that's completely wide open to attack from any foreign uh, agency that or government that wishes to, to to do harm to the United States of America, and this comprises uh, the highest level of treason on the part of these government officials that are covering it up. Because this is a serious national security issue right here. We're talking about something that, in the aggregate, uh, in the long term, it could compromise the national security of the United, of the United States of America to cause serious serious repercussions for the country, and nobody's talking about those repercussions. Nobody's talking about the level of risk that the average American now will have to assume because of the incompetence and the malfeasance of the highest levels of this government. Very well said. Not everyone is being taken in. Minister Farrakhan at the Nation of Islam, for example, has described Hillary Clinton as a con artist who knows how to get the confidence of black people. But, you know, he's far more discerning than the average American, Dennis. Right. And the thing that's interesting is that, uh, you know, you'd think that uh, in the year 2016 that things would have gotten a little bit better. Uh, and if you really want to believe this, all this rhetoric about terrorism, this, terrorism, that, we have all these threats, we have to have the NSA looking up everybody's undershorts to, to, to find potential domestic terrorism. Uh, and stuff like that, that's a joke in comparison to what these guys have done to make the United States vulnerable to attack by compromising virtually every single level of national security secret known to man because they want to break the rules and get away with it. There are no rules that, that, that are hard. There's no punishment when you get caught. Uh, and the highest levels of this government will look the other way when you are caught breaking the rules. This is a this is a very very uh, serious breach of security that endangers the United States of America. If the United States was really truly concerned about terrorism, uh, they should be looking at these people that are sitting behind these uh, these podiums that are the quintessential essence of national security uh, breaches that could cause serious harm to the United States above and beyond what anybody with a box cutter could do on an airplane. And as we observe here, Alan Sabrowski, another intellectual heavyweight with impeccable credentials in relation to national security issues, has observed that Trump is a far better choice than Hillary. She's not even a disgrace as a Secretary of State, but she would promise to bring her bring us endless wars. 
And he's even told an audience at Dartmouth recently that if she becomes president, she is going to bomb Iran. Well, uh, she made the statement not too very long ago that uh, she would obliterate Iran. And uh, that's a very strong uh, bit of language for a country that has not done any harm to us, has made no threats against the United States in any way, make or form. The only reason that Hillary will do anything to Iran is her Rothschild handlers based just outside of London want Iran to fall. They want Syria to fall. She's doing everything in her power to carry out their orders. It has nothing to do with the national interest of the United States. The United States has no national interest in going to war with Iran, attacking Iran, bombing Iran, obliterating Iran. All of these steps endanger Americans wherever they may be globally. It's an irresponsible position for her to make such a statement, and by far and by large, every American that ever would be injured in an act of terrorism, heaven forbid that it would ever happen for the first time anywhere on the planet, which it is not yet, that they would suddenly get up and go, you know what, I know who caused this. It's this, this crazy, maniacal policy that says, I can do whatever I want, whatever I've been ordered to do by a foreign government. And the, the, the real problem with it is, is that this, is, this will cause long-term repercussions for the United States that cannot be fixed merely by trying to, to patch it up. It can't be repaired. And Dennis, I've gone on endlessly about the fact that our own intelligence agencies, all 16 in 2007, concluded that Iran was not pursuing nuclear weapons, a conclusion they reaffirmed in 2011. Even the Mossad concluded Iran was not pursuing nuclear weapons in 2012. Just three weeks before Bibi Netanyahu went to the U.N. and asserted precisely the opposite, I wrote to 97 members of the United States Senate observing that the sanctions we were imposing upon Iran, like those we previously imposed upon Iraq, were violations of Article 33 of the Geneva Conventions of 1949, which state that no one may be punished for a crime they did not personally commit. Those sanctions are a form of collective punishment and therefore qualify as war crimes, Dennis. And I received one perfunctory response from one senator just acknowledging they appreciated hearing from me. Well, the real, the real issue here is virtually everyone in the Senate and everybody in the House pledges allegiance to Israel and swears an oath of allegiance to Israel. They'll do whatever Israel tells them to do. That's the, uh, the, the, the United States takes back seat, if not even third seat, to any interest that Israel expresses. And therefore, it doesn't matter what, what harm is done in the United States or what happens to the, the sovereignty of the United States and the stability of the United States by these actions. Uh, the only thing that matters is what Israel wants and what Israel says should happen. And the real problem with America is that most of the people on the street have no clue that virtually every single person in the Congress and the Senate is bought and paid for by Israel and they're beholden to everything that Israel tells them to do, and they absolutely do not even consider America's interest, even on the top tier of what they should be looking at. It's always about Israel, always. And Dennis Cynthia McKinney recently revealed that when a new Congress person comes to Washington, they're asked to sign a pledge to put the interests of Israel ahead of those of the United States, and if they don't sign, they find themselves confronted by a well-financed alternative candidate at the next election or that their district has been redrawn to make them no longer have an office. Well, this this kind of stuff has been going on a very long time, and uh, 
the name Louis T. McFadden comes to mind, and he made a, a very eloquent floor speech in the 1930s about how bad the problem was, and virtually nobody paid attention to him. And it's only gotten worse since then. In other words, it's got progressively worse to the point where the corruption level and the, the influence of Israel in the United States after it was after it was stolen from Palestine in 1948 has been so absolute over the United States of America that for all practical purposes, they may as well fly the Israeli flag over the capital because that's the people that, that, that all these uh, public servants work for. As a matter of fact, because Israel controls it, Israel should be paying their salaries, not the taxpayer. I think the combination of these terrorist attacks, which appear to be staged, but the public doesn't understand that, and the domestic uh, terrorist acts, which are likewise staged, is actually strengthening Trump in the eyes of the public. So that this recent poll from the Washington Post, Trump's, uh, well, this is Trump's uh, anti-free trade message rattling the Democrats. But that combined with his strong stance against terrorism is moving him up in the polls, Dennis. Well, the thing that... that that's happening is that the American public is dumb as they are, and they're dumber than sacks of doorknobs, uh, rustier than sacks of moldy doorknobs in a New England basement. They at least understand that uh, the rhetoric that they're hearing from Donald Trump isn't, uh, you know, you know, Netanyahu bend over so I can kiss your hiney. It's more along the lines of America should come first, and people, I think, are starting to realize that their whole entire standard of living is deteriorated so bad in the last 45 years, 50 years, it, uh, it used to be able to sweep it underneath the rug, but everybody is so hurting in this country that they're looking for any breath of fresh air that doesn't say Israel, Israel, Israel. And that's why Trump is very popular, and that's why if the average person in America had, uh, had a choice today, hands down I would have to venture to guess that they would vote for him, uh, even if they know their vote won't count, because he is not singing the dance to Israel tune, even though I believe that Ultimately, all politicians here at some point in the process end up uh, with the crosshair on their forehead and the, and the other end of that rifle is in Netanyahu's hands, in the APAC hands. So they all ultimately have, brought, have to be brought to heel. But uh, when you look at what Trump has said, he's a breath of fresh air. Uh, whether or not he's genuine or not, it doesn't really matter. What, what really does matter is the American public is so very sick watching their standard of living completely disintegrate in this country with nobody in America saying America first, America first. But Mr. Trump does say America first, and that's why he's so popular. Nobody can possibly wrap their minds around it. That's absolutely right, Dennis. And here's a poll result released on the 4th of July that Hillary's lead is down to single digits, 46 to 41. I've seen other poll results that even have Trump ahead. So I think that Hillary's... You know, tenuous lead is starting to evaporate. I cannot believe that even if she's been exonerated by the FBI, that's going to work to her benefit. No, and actually, uh, if you want to get right down to it, I question any poll that puts her ahead of him uh, in any way, make or form. And in reality, he's probably at least got a double-digit lead over her in, in actual uh, polling. But they're and not going to tell you that. And Dennis, get this, not only was NAFTA, which got in our manufacturing and industrial base, brought to us by Bill Clinton, not only did he weaken up the restraints on Wall Street that led to the derivatives bubble crash of 2008, but he actually was disbarred by the Supreme Court of the United States shortly after 9-11, which is why it received so little publicity. It's 
So here's a disgusting man who's been a sex abuser, a drug dealer, used to sneak out of his home when Hillary was asleep in, in, in Little Rock and head over to one of his paramours' homes where he'd dance around in a frilly nighty playing the saxophone and snorting cocaine out of a woman's compact. Well, you know, I'll tell you what about this particular guy, and he's been he's been pretty bad, but uh, he's the only puppet that we've had, uh, even outside of the White House, that, that makes snakes in rock piles nervous when he slithers around near them. You know, they sense a threat when, uh, when they're approached by this guy because they know he'll mount up. There is no hole left untouched when it comes to Mr. Clinton. Well, it's very, very embarrassing. And, and Clinton tried to evade the disbarment by actually uh, re resigning from the bar uh, the day it was about to happen. But I've discussed this with a professor of law who assured me that it was perfectly appropriate to describe what happened here as a disbarment by the Supreme Court. Well, to me, it's kind of surprising that, that uh, they actually took the measure to do it. But uh, but it really tells you how far you have to how. how how high above the, uh, the the surface you have to rise in the level of hubris and uh, and law breaking before anybody will really look at it and go, oh my God, we can't have this, because time after time after time we find that politician after politician uh, is caught doing something not only uh, amazingly horribly wrong, but uh, they sold out the, the the confidence of the American public, and in the end game, uh, what this hurts in America is it completely utterly totally destroys and eradicates the common uh, faith that the public might have had in any governmental agency or entity or person because time after time they just watch this stuff. And uh, I think that if anybody in America is paying any attention to what's really going on, which I don't really think is going on, but uh, let's give some, some Americans some credit and say 3% of the population really understands this stuff. Those people that are paying attention to this stuff are just probably absolutely astonished at the level of criminality that absolutely gets swept under the rug, gets left alone, no prosecutions happen. They don't even bother with a slap on the wrist anymore. They just let it go. Now, Dennis, here's a story about uh, Obama releasing a file 17 related to the, maybe the 28 suppressed pages of the 9-11 Commission report, which we know well, concerns Saudi Arabian funding for some of the purported hijackers of 9-11. We know 15 of the 19, according to the official account, actually were from Saudi Arabia. The number that were from Iraq was zero. So this seems to be, you know, actually further fascinating. Uh, the public where the Saudis, as you well know, have actually declared that on 9-11, the United States attacked the United States. Well, the thing that's amazing is that you didn't see, the, you didn't see mention of that in mainstream media. Uh, this kind of stuff kind of gets leaked out around the seams of uh, of a very heavy gasket uh, called a lockstep uh, uh, Zionist uh, control of every media outlet to the point where the American public really never hears the fact that somebody actually blew the whistle and said, wait a minute, we're not going to be your scapegoat today. We're going to blow a whistle here. The American public still to this day believes in some fashion that Saudi Arabian hijackers with box cutters took over airplanes and caused the damage on 9-11. That, that astonishes me that still Americans to this day, with all the evidence to the contrary, will still consider that these patsies that really actually didn't fly anything on 9-11, did not hijack anything on 
actually caused the whole entire North American air defense system to go, you know what, up, and nothing happened, and they were allowed to fly aircraft into buildings. That's absurd. It just doesn't work like that in real life. Today, most Americans believe the Saudi Arabians were behind it. As you know, Dennis, but most Americans do not. There was a massive gold theft in relation to 9-11. I believe this story actually originated with Kurt Sonnenfeld, who actually had photographic evidence of the trucks beneath the World Trade Center where they were unable to escape uh, from uh, the the destruction uh, of the region at the time, but got away with the gold. Well, the only reason why I question this, and and, and, and I'm not trying to say that virtually everything that he says is bad, is that to me, even though it's plausible, it really doesn't make any sense that they would wait till the last minute to hijack the gold. You, they would have carte blanche access to the gold 24-7 in the weeks before, and it made virtually no sense to me that they got caught with their pants down on the day that they carried out the false flag. So in all in all fairness to Mr. Sonnenfeld, I have a real problem with the fact that at the very last minute, these guys that wanted the gold went in there in the last hours, uh, knowing full well what was going to happen, uh, that they were going to demolish these buildings, usually nuclear devices to bring them down, which uh, is quite dramatic. That's a, that's a, that's a major change in, uh, in game player uh, thing going here that uh, that happened on 9/11, and yet they waited till the last minute to queue trucks up to get the gold out. Uh, there's something wrong with that picture that I'm really not buying. I think that there's really, uh, it's more likely that they would have taken out over time and gotten it out long before 9/11 was carried out. Dennis, here's our last story, and it's a doozy. Uh, Huma Abedin, a closer look at Hillary's closest companion. The media and political observers have noticed a near-constant companion by Hillary nearly every event. Uh, uh, she goes, uh, a tall, thin, long-haired brunette woman named Huma Abedin, who's been Clinton's personal aide and confidant for nearly 20 years. Abedin, who assumes a role traditionally referred to as body man, or in this case body woman, is expected to serve as an assistant, scheduler, and valet for the f- former first lady if she becomes president. She accompanies, organizes, and coordinates Clinton at all times. She's been working for her since she was a sophomore at George Washington University. In 96, when she was 19 years old, served as an intern to the First Lady at the time that Monica Lewinsky was serving as an intern to Hillary's husband, President Bill Clinton. And there may be a parallel there, too, Dennis, because the, 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 the gossip in Washington that they have a close, personal, intimate relationship has been simply overwhelming, but there's a deeper issue at stake because she's from a, a family from Saudi Arabia, Dennis, and some speculation that she may be a, a Saudi agent at the highest level of the government of the United States. Well, when you talk Saudi agent, you might as well say Wahhabist and you might as well say Zionist because there's no difference between Saudi Arabia and the people that inhabit Israel. They're they're, for all practical purposes, they're a three-legged race going on over there, and they work hand-in-hand with each other. And it doesn't surprise me that this uh, particular thing is going on because, as you know, uh, the, the, the people that know what Hillary is all about and what, what she's proven is her track record and going right down the line there. That it, uh, It's more than just conjecture that uh, she doesn't really have much use for men, you know, albeit uh, you can't really say that uh, – Mr. Clinton actually qualifies as one, but uh, when you get right down to it, when it comes to this kind of stuff, uh, in, inferring uh, uh, 
you know, a, a, a same-sex relationship uh, between Hillary and another female, uh, it, it's a no-brainer. I mean, when people really examine the, the, the truth, it, it, I'm not saying that it's a bad thing. I'm just saying that uh, it's very apparent to me that, uh, that what's next? Are we going to have uh, a, a, a group uh, commune in the White House living together? Is that going to be the next level? In somewhat more colorful language, Bill Clinton has said that Hillary has had more women than he has. Dennis, I can't thank you enough for your expert commentary. This is Jim Fetzer, your host on The Real Deal. Uh, uh, my thanks to Dennis and to all of you for watching. Moonrock Books, we're a group of scholars, experts, and authors who feel the world really needs saving and that resisting the American empire is the right thing to do. People are starved for truth. They are given lies. They subsist on lies, but it's not really living. People are not watching TV news. They're ceasing to read newspapers, too, because they know by now they will not find it there. The biggest battle being fought anywhere is with information. If the people can receive the truth, they will do the right thing. We are publishing the truth about Sandy Hook, about the Boston bombing, about the moon landings, about the Holocaust, and much, much more. The truth. It falls upon us to fight the empire and save the world. Join us, Moonrock Books. invited me to join NBC and present video shows. I've been extremely impressed with his competence and professionalism, show after show after show, where we have been covering the most important issues of our time with the best experts available for your benefit and my edification as well. I've learned a great deal through these programs, and we must be having some success because the constant harassment and attacks that Chance has experienced right here on NBC are a backward compliment that we are making a difference. In order to continue to persevere, we need your help. We need new equipment, a new server, new computer. We can do it. We're not talking about a large sum of money. 
but anything you can contribute would be a tremendous help. And I'm going to reach into my pocketbook, too, to help with this most worthy effort. Thank you very much for any contribution you're able to make. This is uh, Jim Fetzer, your host on The Real Deal. In Dallas, Texas, three shots were fired at President Kennedy's motorcade. It looks like one of those scenes of an old building being purposely dynamited and blown. When we are successful, I'm just a patsy, and we will be. We're ready to make, uh, to come to the microphone, so we'll listen up. A new world order. So my name's Robbie Parker. It might have appeared that way, but from my close-up inspection, there's no evidence of a plane having crashed anywhere near the Pentagon. Let us never tolerate outrageous conspiracy theories concerning the attacks of September the 11th. President Kennedy died at 1 p.m. Live from the Media Broadcasting Center. 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 My name is Kurt Sonnenfeld. For 10 years, I worked for several different agencies of the United States government, including the Federal Emergency Management Agency. In September of 2001, I was contracted to be the official videographer uh, following the attacks on Ground Zero of the World Trade Center. Because of the conclusions of what I saw and what I filmed, my life has been in danger for the past 10 years. Now, I live in Argentina as a political refugee. This is my story. I was born in 1962 in Denver, Colorado. My father, Gene, was a project manager for a construction company. I have a brother, Craig, and a sister, Dixie. Uh, my mother, Bonnie, uh, stayed at home with us and uh, raised us quite well. I had a very happy childhood. Uh, most of what I remember uh, was outside playing constantly, uh, going to the mountains, uh, skiing, uh, riding horses, um, typical Colorado activities. After I graduated from high school, I began to uh, attend the University of Colorado in uh, Boulder, Colorado. I studied uh, international relations with a minor in economics and uh, eventually uh, continued to uh, get another bachelor's degree in English with a writing concentration and a minor in philosophy. My career at FEMA began uh, the, the wife of the systems analyst of the economic journal where I worked had a job with FEMA. and. Uh, her boss had mentioned to her that, uh, that they needed somebody who knew how to write, who knew how to produce television. Um, and she said, I know just the person, and she, she nominated me. I remember uh, at one point um, running to catch a helicopter with my camera on my shoulder, eating a sandwich and my cell phone ringing all at the same time and I, and I remember thinking, wow, this is a, a cool job, <laughs> something I want to do. After a while, I began uh, being involved in natural disasters, 
uh, and uh, other catastrophes, uh, including terrorist attacks or uh, accidents at uh, munitions depots, uh, for example. A lot of uh, installations where they, they develop uh, or storage or transport uh, weapons uh, of mass destruction, including uh, chemical, biological, and nuclear weapons. videotape of uh, what's called ton containers full of VX gas. Uh, I've got videotape of uh, the disarming of a, of a nuclear bomb. A lot of uh, situations that are uh, typically characterized as confidential or top secret. Because of the level of confidence that they had in me on the morning of September 11, 2001, uh, I was called by my boss at FEMA to travel to New York City to be the official videographer at uh, the perimeter of the World Trade Center. This is a box of some of my things from FEMA from my years of responding to catastrophes and disasters. what we have here. To me, things began to appear out of the ordinary or even suspicious right from the beginning. All of the, the government agents were, were walking freely about uh, on the, the rubble of Ground Zero. There was no attention at all given to uh, preserving evidence, and in fact, uh, from what it looked like to me, they were very rapidly removing the evidence and taking it away to uh, Fishkill Island where it was then uh, sent to China and melted down uh, as quickly as possible. To me, the most suspicious thing of, of, of all of what happened on September 11th is uh, what happened to uh, Building 7 of the World Trade Center. Uh, very few people know that, uh, that in fact, uh, three buildings collapsed. This building was not hit by any airplane. It didn't have any structural damage as a result of any airplane or much stru structural damage as a result of the, uh, the Twin Towers falling. But amazingly enough, Building 7 fell in a perfect uh, textbook type implosion, taking only six and a half seconds for a 47-story building to fall completely into its own footprint. This, to me, indicates that there was absolutely no resistance between the floors when the building uh, collapsed. I was told um, that I needed to be on call 24 hours a day in case one of the black boxes uh, were discovered. The chances were good that uh, at least one would be found. However, these indestructible black boxes, uh, not even a, a molecule was found. Uh, supposedly they were vaporized in the, in the collision. But uh, I have uh, footage of the seats of the airplane, landing gear, the rubber tires, aluminum fuselage. A lot of things that are uh, 
lot more sensitive to heat and impact than a black box, and yet they uh, somehow uh, managed to survive the collision, whereas the black boxes, um, oddly enough, did not. One thing I am certain of is that uh, the agencies of intelligence of the United States of America knew what was going to happen and at least let it happen. And considering the unusual events around uh, WTC7, uh, I'm at the point of concluding that uh, not only did they know it was going to happen, uh, that they in fact collaborated. Thanks for being here. Appreciate it. Thanks. On the first day of the year 2002, my wife Nancy took the tragic decision to take her own life. Um, the police came, several of them jumped on top of me and began beating me. After I was released and I returned back home, um, some friends of mine called and said that they had a surprise for me, that uh, they had two uncles who lived in Argentina who each had uh, apartments side by side in a, a town called San Bernardo, which was on the beach and uh, they offered to uh, let me stay there as long as I needed. Yo estaba comiendo con unos amigos cuando lo conocí a Kurt. Él estaba intentando hablar en un español muy de manual, muy malo, un manual malo. Eh, le dijo mi, uno de mis mejores amigos, el típico, where are you from? Y Kurt le dijo, soy norteamericano, no tengo ni idea de nada de Argentina y eh, vine para pasar unos días a descansar, a pensar. September 11th was approaching. Uh, we agreed to do one uh, television show and only not speak of anything controversial, just uh, speak about the heroism and, and things like that and just keep it uh, in memory of the victims. However, about uh, three days before I was to deliver the original footage, about 20 members of Interpol came charging me in front of my house threw me up against a wall, threw handcuffs on me and, and uh, said that a, an airplane was waiting to take me back to the United States. They had with them a request from the embassy of Buenos Aires uh, to confiscate uh, all of my documents, all of my video footage uh, and uh, to remit it immediately back to the United States with the fugitive. Cuando llegué a Interpol con la orden de detención, todo por el pedido de Estados Unidos, ellos eh, lo hacen salir a Kurt con el pretexto de que les, le enseñase un policía que estaba en la esquina cómo usar una cámara. Kurt sale de casa y allí emergen de todos lados más de una docena de agentes de Interpol. What had happened was they had revived the personal tragedy that I had suffered. 
the suicide of my first wife, Nancy. They used that as a tool to bring me back to the United States, where I was under their control. At least four different courts, four, four times has my case been looked at by a judge and been decided in my favor. Yet the United States government continues and continues and continues. Um, what we want now is for the United States government to cease what they're doing. My wife and I now have uh, two beautiful daughters born here in Argentina. My wife is Argentinian. I now consider myself Argentinian. Of course I miss my, my parents very much, and my brother and sister very much. I miss the mountains of Colorado. But to me, if I had a chance to go back to the United States, I don't believe I would. I prefer it here. This is Jim Fetzer, your host on The Real Deal, where my special guest today is Dennis Camino. We're discussing some footage recently released by Kurt Sonnenfeld, who is the official FEMA videographer on 9-11. Uh, Dennis has taken a good look at it and has a lot of comments to make. And because we're having problem with the audio, Dennis is going to show the video and talk over the video. And I'm going to arrange for the video to have been played before we even begin the show. So it should work out. Dennis, please go for it. All right. I'm going to go ahead and start now. But thank you for the nice introduction. Uh, the video is, uh, is started. And uh, as you can see, you got New York City street uh, stuff. And there's the introduction basically that uh, where he's introducing himself and telling who he is, and they work for FEMA. And I'll be kind of quiet here until we get into a point where I need to discuss it. Well, I think any commentary is good, although I hopefully will have already shown it. Okay. Well, anyways, talking about the fact that he was the official FEMA a videographer, and uh, and so this is his story. All right. Hey, he's talking about his background. Basically introducing his mother and family. And 
Here he is attending the University of Colorado in Boulder. Introduced to FEMA and uh, managed to get his position there. And uh, where is this status? Uh, he was just talking about all the different assignments that he had during FEMA. And, uh, and they sent him to natural disaster sites and uh, catastrophes, so including terrorist attacks. And uh, he's talking about going to installations with chemical weapons. This looks like it might have been Utah there that he was inside the, uh, the weapons storage facility. And these are VX gas containers. Uh, these are B-61 nuclear weapons here that are being disassembled at Pantex, uh, which is quite a distance under the ground in Amarillo, Texas. So he obviously had a clearance to be in Pantex to watch him disassembly, doing the disassemblies of B-61 nuclear bombs, gravity bombs. And he, now he's talking about the level of confidence that FEMA had in him. And they asked him to travel to New York City to do the official videography work. And allegedly he smuggled quite a bit of his stuff uh, out of the United States to Argentina in a box in his household effects, the, the cover story, including... You know, video that And now he's talking about things that, that were suspicious from the beginning. He's, he's talking about the, that the government was actually taking no uh, steps to preserve any of the evidence. He's talking about the steel being shipped to China to be melted down, which we all know about that. That's, uh, that's not a secret. Now he's talking about Building 7, which is great. You know, that uh, some people didn't know that three buildings collapsed, but... Uh, 
all this footage that he's got here wasn't necessarily shot by him because it's uh, it's archive footage. So, so it's been included into this introduction about him, which is great. Yeah. Uh, the screen is frozen. The screen is frozen. Was going in the direction that he had seen things at, at ground zero that would make him a target for the federal government to want to execute him back from Argentina for what he had seen. And now he's just talking about the collapse of Building 7 and... Uh, the interesting part is coming up here in a moment when uh, here he's explaining they had to be on call 24 hours a day in, in the event that they would discover the black boxes from the aircraft. He said not even a molecule was found, which is uh, controversial. So this one that freeze here. And this is a skip box uh, in New York City where aircraft parts were aggregated after recovery. And just before we get to this scene here, he has just now said that he has found aircraft seats, he's found landing gear tires, and other assemblies from an aircraft. Uh, what I had done is I took this particular shot that I freeze-framed, and I blew it up as large as I could possibly get it. In other words, I, I broke this thing into sectors uh, because I could blow it up so large, and I looked very intently at what's in this box. And in my professional opinion, having worked with aircraft wreckage of different types, including general aviation stuff, I don't see anything in this box that resembles a bona fide Boeing 767 component. Now, that might be debatable. They'd say, well, of course it's in there. And our man that just now has declared that he has found seats and landing gear tires and other things uh, that are readily distinguishable as aircraft components, and we're, we're, you know, they go to such measures to show us this skip box, which, by the way, is not too unlike the one that was at the Pentagon uh, with minimal amounts of parts in it. Uh, I don't see how they could make the claim that these components are aircraft parts. Now, maybe if I were zoomed in 100 times deeper into this, I might be able to see a component. But I don't see anything that resembles an overhead comp uh, bin I don't see anything that looks like an aircraft seat. I don't see any of the interior upholstery of an aircraft. Uh, I don't see any type of uh, distinguishable part that looks like landing gear, engine component, uh, wiring, harnesses. Uh, by the way, uh, when you when you uh, think about an aircraft, it, it's comprised of several miles of, of different gauges of cable and wire uh, that are in harnessed assemblies. Now, you could uh, deduce that these would be torn asunder and ripped up uh, pretty severely, but uh, here again, there would be wiring harnesses in here, even if there were only segments of them. There would be seat cushions. There would be segments of overhead bin compartment doors. Uh, there would be yellow oxygen masks. Uh, as everybody has probably seen at least once in their life when the aircraft gets some form of turbulence and the, and the, the oxygen masks pop out, for no apparent good reason that you can think of, but they do pop out. They've happened uh, to me several times in flight. Uh, 
uh, various t times in an aircraft. Uh, there's no sign of any of this stuff. It's, it's very readily distinguishable. Typically in an aircraft, you have flotation devices, which basically are life preservers. They're very brightly colored so that if in the event that the aircraft makes a water landing uh, and you happen to be bobbing around in the surface of the sea, somebody in a helicopter or a C-130 getting ready to drop a boat so that you can get into it uh, would be readily able to distinguish you from the surface of the water. There is nothing in this skip box that, that even remotely looks like an airplane part. Now, based on his claim that, uh, that he had seen, you know, various aircraft components, tires, seats, uh, various aggregate uh, pieces of an airplane, and, and uh, he had identified those. Why did he not, with his video camera, get nice, clear, clean shots of that stuff? And why did he not show it to us in this, if that's what he'd done? And that's my bone that I have to pick with this at this particular segment of it, because uh, he offhand in the very beginning of this makes the claim that the reason why the government has gone to such extreme lengths to try and ensure his extradition back from Argentina to the United States after he left the country, uh, that, uh, that he has information that they would not want him to be able to continue to have outside the country. And uh, that's all well and good, but we're not seeing any evidence of this here. Now, uh, we'll get into other irregularities in this video that are kind of uh, odious, but I'd like to restart this. But before I do it, I, I'd like everybody to take a good hard look at this, this screen and understand that truly, uh, for what it's worth, there's really nothing in this, in this skip box that really uh, stands out and distinguishes itself as an aircraft component. There's aluminum ductwork that's much larger than you typically find in a commercial aircraft uh, and other components here. But uh, there's virtually nothing in here that really uh, – sets itself off as being components of a crashed airplane that hit a building. And uh, as far as I can tell, uh, this box is full of a bunch of junk that was recovered in the building that is not aircraft wreckage. And it clearly, on the outside of this box, when we get another shot of it as I restart, says airplane parts. Now, I don't know if they mislabeled the box or they just figured that they just throw junk in this box or whatever. But for what it's worth, they didn't put airplane parts in this in this skip box because it, you'd see them for for the reason I stated. Uh, there'd be uh, wiring harnesses, the, the masks, all kinds of different colored stuff, and basically all you got in here is a bunch of shards of of, of junk and uh, you know little tiny parts that are in the back of this box that I can't really see clearly. For sure, it could be aircraft components, but nothing that's in the foreground in here looks like an airplane part. Would you like to comment yourself, Jim, about what you see here, or do you have any comments? Well, of course, uh, Colonel George Nelson has observed that these planes had millions of uniquely identifiable component parts, unique serial numbers, and that the government has yet to produce even one example of a part that had that unique serial number. So I find all of this a bit of a stretch. That looks like a bunch of junk, Dennis. It doesn't even look like it has anything to do with aircraft. Why they would present this rubbish and suggest it had to do with uh, plane crashes is, is simply bewildering or, shall we say, indicative of the superficial character of the attempt to deceive the American public in the belief that nobody would be smart enough to look at this and to deny that it's aircraft parts, which you and I are both doing here and now. 
Well, yes, I'm going to go, I'm going to once again reiterate the fact that there's nothing that's clearly in this box in the field of vision that I can see. And like I said, I've taken this shot and blown it up many, many, many times and looked at it very closely to see if I could distinguish aircraft components in this box. I could not distinguish any parts in this box that come from a 757 or a 767. So, uh, or for that matter, a commercial jetliner of any type. In other words, even a BOAC Comet, for God's sakes, which has been out of service for years, uh, it has distinguishable, distinguishable parts uh, that, uh, that make it readily uh, discernible as an aircraft component. Nothing in this box matches that. Typically, uh, you'd see much more color uh, contrast with, with real aircraft wreckage, and this is just a bunch of debris. And uh, for what it's worth, just because it says aircraft parts on the side of it, you'll see that much more clearly when I start it again. Uh, you get a side view of this box. So that you don't you don't come to understand that I am putting words in the video, uh, you know, that, that don't exist uh, in real life. This is marked on the outside of aircraft parts, and clearly these are not. Uh, so this, in my opinion, and, I, and I, I'm going to state this right here and now, this is a very cleverly done ruse by the Central Intelligence Agency to give the impression that Mr. Sonnenfeld was being... Uh, Re, uh, re-extradited or uh, brought back to the United States because he was in damaging information about 9-11 that was injurious uh, to, to someone in the United States uh, uh, military industrial complex in some fashion in the aftermath of this false flag. Now, if that's the case, uh, all of us know, and I'm going to state it point blank, the United States has been renditioning people off the streets of virtually every country in Europe uh, that you can think of, including the United States for that matter, grabbing them and sticking them in aircraft and flying them to black sites for torture. Now, this man has been gone from, from uh, the United States for quite a number of years. He probably, for the most part, walks freely uh, you know, on the streets of uh, the, the town that he lives in in, in Argentina. In other words, uh, if we sent agents to go get them, uh, I'm going to go so far as to say that it would be almost impossible for them not to be able to grab them and throw them in a car and drag his ass to the airport and take off with them. So this is uh, quite a fantasy here that, uh, you know, they're waiting for some unusual opportunity to get a judicial judgment to get him because if he was really that kind of a high-value target that they absolutely positively had to bring back to the United States, there's no doubt in my ex-military mind that they would rendition this guy without the approval of the Argentinian government and bring him back here, irregardless of what the government over there said that they wanted. It wouldn't matter what any judge said. This man would be on an airplane back to the United States in 24 hours. So I really have a big problem with this. And uh, uh, this, this guy was uh, so plugged in and so trusted with FEMA for, uh, for him to be selected to be the videographer it's almost like he was he was in the same exact position that Ike Altgens was in 1963 in Dealey Plaza, who was a uh, AP uh, wire photo uh, person that was pre-staged uh, to capture photography of the event, as was uh, Abraham Zapruder, who shot video of the, or actually movie footage of the president being assassinated. This is the same exact deal here uh, in virtually every respect. In other words, this guy was there. Uh, to do the bidding of the federal government, uh, and then in, in addition to that, uh, 
as we know what happened in Dealey Plaza back 55 years ago, uh, that they, they took extensive liberty to modify the, the, the uh, still footage. They modified the pruder film. This man is a very, very clever propaganda tool uh, that was uh, created basically or groomed by the Central Intelligence Agency to lend plausibility to put aircraft uh, uh, parts and collisions in New York City when, in fact, there's virtually no evidence that real aircraft hit these buildings. And I'm going to go back and hearken to the the engine that was planted uh, at Church Street in New York City underneath the scaffold. It was a JT-9 model F uh, engine that was used on aircraft up until and including 1974, and it was put on jumbo jets. It was a planted engine, but it was the wrong engine for any of the aircraft involved that day. It was planted apparently by FBI agents in a van. They left their hand truck and other uh, paraphernalia on the location where they planted it. In addition to that, we also know that they planted a specific piece of landing gear where they placed it between buildings and they inadvertently, stupidly left the rope that they lowered it into position with on the landing gear itself. So we can clearly state for the record that no captain in any air carrier is going to take off from any airport with a chunk of rope banging against the, 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 uh, the skin of the airplane for hundreds of miles, which, by the way, makes one heck of a racket uh, because the slipstream uh, you know, would be whipping it all over the fuselage. Uh, and therefore, it's, it's preposterous to, to even go in the direction of surmising that the aircraft would take off with a piece of rope attached to the landing gear. So when they went to the extreme measures of planting an engine and they planted a piece of landing gear, why did they have to plant the landing gear when they clearly had real wreckage on this location that Mr. Sonnenfeld said that he saw? He saw uh, tires, he saw seats, and he saw their components. And, in fact, in this particular box, there's virtually no sign of any of these things that he saw. And if any of this was really his footage that he shot uh, when he was in New York City, uh, why didn't he zoom in on this stuff if he if he thought it was uh, such an important artifact? Because he's bringing our attention to it, that he, he believed that uh, this is important enough to, to make the point that we would know that he personally, with his own eyeballs, saw the landing gear, saw the seats, Saw other components of jet aircraft that were involved in these uh, uh, these events on 9/11 on that particular day in 2001, and there's absolutely no sign of it in the skip box. So I'm going to go ahead and turn this video back on and get on with it. Uh, but uh, I think I've said enough. And if you'd like to comment further, Jim, go ahead. No, I I, I agree with everything you've said, Dennis. And uh, yeah, the rope attached to the landing gear appears to have been used to assist in guiding it into position. It was probably lowered by a crane. They needed the rope. And then it was, uh, as I recall, the commissioner of police who acknowledged there was a rope attached to it, which, of course, blew the whole thing wide open. As you observed about the engine at church in Murray, it's under a steel scaffolding. It's sitting on a sidewalk. If anything that massive had hit a sidewalk at high, high velocity, it would have done tremendous damage. And, and they left a dolly behind. Jack White observed there was a Fox, van, a Fox News footage of a white van there. We got four or five individuals wearing FBI vests unloading something heavy. It's clear that they were delivering the engine to serve as a prop in a fake or staged scenario. That's right. And and here again, we'll we'll go back to the why did they have to put an engine underneath the scaffold if a real engine actually ripped through the building and came out the side of it, as we were showing with the with the. We have, we have a parallel with Sandy Hook, where we've been unable to obtain any copies of the death certificates. 
which purportedly we given to the New York Daily News, but which has been unwilling to release them. That's just a subterfuge. The one death certificate we do have is a fabrication. It was given by Lenny Posner to Kelly Watt. Uh, after uh, they had a 100 hours of conversation, she told him she didn't believe anything he said. She didn't believe he had a son. She didn't believe he died. And he told, he sent her the death certificate as proof. And the bottom half is of a real death certificate. The top is of a fake, doesn't even have a file number, has the wrong estimated time of death as 11 a.m. When the shooting took place between 9.30 and 9.35, as you're observing, Dennis, if this had been a, these had been real events, real planes, real deaths, there would have been no necessity to fake it. The fact that they're fake, fake internet church in Murray, fake the landing gear wedged between two buildings, fake, fake death certificate all indicates that these are scams being perpetrated on the American people by their own government. Chris, and I, and I want to inform people that might not have uh, watched another episode that we did, uh, where we discussed the fact that uh, in the uh, the case of the Pentagon crash, the wreckage that was seated at the Pentagon was recovered from the Columbia jungles from a 19, December 1995 crash where the Israelis got explicit permission to go into the jungles and recover the wreckage. And then they proceeded to sell portions of that 757 uh, that crashed in Buga, Columbia during a nighttime approach when they used the wrong approach fix and slammed into a mountain killing everybody but just a couple people on board the aircraft. But uh, that aircraft wreckage was recycled by the Israelis in New York, or I'm sorry, in uh, Arlington, Virginia, and it has been positively identified by people that were familiar with the aircraft and the way that the word American was painted on the outside of the fuselage because different vintages of Boeing 757s, the word American was indexed differently between the nose and the tail in a slightly different position and you can actually see a rivet line that clearly distinguishes the exact position of that letter that's visible on that and it positively identifies that part as being the wrong genus of Boeing 757. In other words, it's exactly the airplane that crashed in, in Buga, Colombia in 1995 in December. It was recovered by the Israelis and by the way, a U.S. attorney in Seattle was murdered by a Mossad agent for prosecuting the actual resale of the parts from the recovered aircraft in Colombia. So we know that if they really wanted to, to, uh, to, 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 uh, to uh, as the British would term, sex up this, this skip box with airplane parts, uh, they could have thrown a bunch of uh, airplane components from that crash. But uh, the caveat being that if they had any uh, fuselage sections at all, uh, that the color scheme would be wrong because, as you might uh, be aware, uh, the American Airlines uh, aircraft only hit one of the two towers, American uh, Flight 11. Uh, so we don't know which uh, of the towers. Pur purportedly, of course, Dennis. Quite purportedly. But the thing is that uh, there would at least be some uh, uh, moderately dark-colored blue uh, skin uh, sure. uh, portions from the United jet uh, that was involved for United Airlines. Right. That the kind of debris, if a real plane had actually hit, is not present here. What we see instead is a bunch of rubbish that has no apparent connection to any plane crash anywhere in the world. Right, and the thing that I think that went on here, and I'm going to go out on a limb, but I'm going to blank, because there was no airplane wreck discernible in the debris field because no aircraft impacted the buildings. They, were, they instructed crews to just throw whatever crap they could find on site into the skip boxes, 
probably until they got to a point where they were full, and then they hauled them away. Uh, but there's clearly no aircraft wreckage visible in this box under any circumstances. And if Mr. Schoenfeld was genuine and real, he would have zoomed in on it uh, with his camera and let us see what it looks like. But the other thing about this uh, this video is this, this is a very, very slick production here. In other words, this is a professional-grade production uh, where they go to the, 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 the extreme lengths of giving us a nice introduction about this uh, gentleman's uh, bona fides here, where you know where he went to school in his alma mater, University of Colorado, uh, and and uh, very nice. You know, it's even got a nice musical soundtrack to it. Uh, you know, granted that that's very nice and it's all well and good, but the whole point of this video was to show the American public that this man had information that was very damaging to the U.S. federal government who carried out this, this false flag uh, attack against America on 9-11. And so far, right up to this point in the video, there's no evidence that goes in the direction of, of uh, implicating the United States government in any way, make, or form. He spent a great deal of time talking about the implosion of Building 7, which, albeit it's very important to, to make the public aware that, yes, a third building collapsed. It was not damaged by anything from an aircraft that day. Uh, but in my opinion, uh, you know, even though, like I said, it's very important to mention that he went to so much uh, length to put to, to fill up a lot of this video with stuff that really is is a bunch of show. It, it's all it's all, all all hat and no cattle underneath it, really. And yes, let's so, go forward. Let's go forward with the video, Dennis. Okay, here we go. I'm going to restart. He's talking about things that's from aircraft points to fly the collect that the black boxes that were were uh, not present. And now here we're getting a bunch of archival garbage of Bush and, uh, and all the purposes. Here again, this is this is great. It's all well and good, but this is this is this is Showtime Central Intelligence Agency here. This is this is a typical Central Intelligence Agency production that we're looking at, and that's my professional opinion. This is a very slick propaganda film, and now we've got some really nice and, uh, you know, the, the story about his wife, and uh, and that's all well and good, but, uh, and then he gets choked up, and be normal, not saying that that's, it, it's, it's, a little, it's fully acquitted of, of this, as, as it's stated here on the screen, uh, he ruled in his favor, and he was dismissed without prejudice, in other words, he was a free man. Oh, the case for murder against his wife has been dismissed? Right, yes. In other words, he was completely acquitted uh, by the decision. In other words, he was off the hook for the murder of his wife. And I want to stop here uh, just for a brief moment. Now, here's his new wife, Paula Seinfeld, who he married after he went to Argentina. But uh, I I'm going to go out on a limb here, and, I and I'm going to state that, uh, yes, it was a traumatic thing. His wife killed herself, and 
by the way, he was allegedly in the home at the time of the murder. But to me, it's awfully odd that the first thing that he does after he gets acquitted is he takes off and goes to a foreign country. Now, why would you automatically presume that you had to leave in the first place? Jim, would you like to comment on that? No, Dennis, I think you have the time sequence wrong. He fled uh, to Argentina because he was being falsely prosecuted for the death of his wife. And he only, he met Paula after he'd been in Argentina for some time. Uh, I have met them both. I gave the keynote address at the, at an international symposium on 9-11 Truth and Justice that was held at the National Library of the Republic of Argentina in 2009. And Paula was my translator. This reflects a huge difference in cultural attitude toward academicians and scholars and issues of immense public significance because it was held in the National Library. There were probably 20 television crews there, a couple of hundred VIPs. Kurt and I were both speaking there uh, among those where I gave the keynote address. So, you know, it's quite remarkable and striking to me how differently we, we encounter the attitudes here in the United States. But, of course, Argentina wasn't a perp in relation to the 9-11 attack, and, and the United States was. No, but you'd also have to wonder at what point did uh, did various members of the Argentinian government uh, become aware of the fact that this that this gentleman was clearly, uh, in, in some fashion or another, in the act of actually seeking political asylum in another country because he feared some form of retribution by the United States government. Well, it all appeared to be completely legit and on the up and up when I met Kurt and Paula in Argentina. There was no question that he was there because FEMA was unhappy with him for having taken photos and footage that they did not want to have disclosed and that the case for prosecuting him for the murder of his wife was a fabrication in order to give them a grounds to extradite. Right, but this is a typical CIA tactic, Jim, and I want to remind people that may be watching this, is that in order to gain your confidence about this particular gentleman being prosecuted or persecuted by the U.S. federal government, you have to make him a victim. You have to make him look like an unjustly persecuted gentleman that was originally acquitted by uh, by a jury and then finally some, somehow managed to escape just long enough to get off of U.S. soil. Now, the thing I can tell you point blank, and, and I, I'm having a hard time believing this, is that he would be able to smuggle all of a bunch of classified material out of the United States under any circumstances and get it to Argentina without the U.S. federal government being extremely uh, concerned about the nature of what he had. Because as we've seen in the earlier part of this video, he had access to uh, nuclear weapons uh, disassembly facility. Well, he's at Pantex. He had uh, weapons access to uh, uh, chemical uh, and biological weapons at the Tuella uh, Weapons Depot in Utah and probably even the one in Alabama. Uh, it's, it's quite clear that this gentleman had a very high-level security clearance, probably had access to an awful lot of classified material. And he was, a, in a lot of ways, uh, would have been an extreme problem uh, relative to a security risk had he fled uh, the United States with any amount of potentially classified material when he left. Dennis, because I'm going to add the video at the beginning, we have like uh, 11 minutes to finish. 
Okay, I'm going to run and... the rest of the video and then talk more about it, and then we'll discontinue like at a quarter up. Yeah. All right. Anyway, I think we've we've gone pretty far on this, but we'll go ahead and push on. And here again, there's more music, and it's a really it's a very nice production. Uh, and it, it, it's nice to show this nice couple that appears to be happily married in the aftermath of uh, a horrible tragedy where his wife allegedly took her life. And I have no doubt uh, that there's probably some veracity to the fact that the woman really committed suicide. I don't doubt that uh, at all. But uh, the supposition that uh, this guy would have a real ra uh, rational reason to suddenly take off and go to another country uh, like this, uh, knowing that he might be a fugitive because of the, the security clearance that he had and the material that he had access to, especially around 9-11, to, to wrap my mind around. And, uh, and so far in this whole entire thing from end to end, there's really virtually nothing in here uh, that is so uh, damaging to the United States uh, uh, powers that be that uh, carried out this false flag attack. Well, he has... He has a lot of photographs you're not seeing here, Dennis. Keep, 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 keep the video running so we complete it. Really make him a real target. In other words, it's great to stipulate that, yes, he was being persecuted, and, yes, they had a real reason to bring him back. But in this video, there's not one scintilla of evidence shown to us in any way, make or form, that really solidifies that, that claim that he makes. In other words, I, I very slick, a very nice production. I understand. Uh, it's almost this. too slick and too professionally put together uh, with the goal, just like with the Edwards, uh, the uh, Edward Snowden uh, gentleman that the whole entire national security apparatus of the United States was in uproar, and uh, every single mainstream media channel uh, vilified the whistleblower who took off a classified material, which, by the way, is another psychological operation from stem to stern. When uh, I've mentioned this over and over again, it shows that there is no way of a priori access to unfettered uh, numbers of uh, uh, storage uh, locations on different network drives that would allow him the ability to just root around and off to Russia and get away with it. Because in, in my opinion, if you've taken anything damn with them, uh, they would have had agents intercepting him en route to, before he got there. In other words, he would not have made it. Uh, they would have probably sanctioned him on his way there. They would have grabbed whatever he had with him, taken it off of him. And the United States public would have not even been apprised of the situation that they had to actually terminate the guy's life to stop a classified leak from, from ongoing. So here again, this guy is on the of Edward Snowden in almost every way you can imagine. And like I said, this video production, is it's very nice and it's real spiffy. And uh, it's very touching, uh, and it shows two wonderful children and, and, a, and a family in Argentina and uh, makes it look like this guy is an innocent victim. But in my professional opinion, if he had the material that he says that he had about the, the damning evidence that shows government problems, you know, complicity in the attacks of 9-11, his first in, insurance policy would have been to make sure that he disseminated that information far and wide and leaked it. Uh, Dennis, can we finish the video? <laughs> <clears throat> I 
All right. Uh, so I think I dropped out of the uh, the meeting here. Yep. Anyway, everything dropped at us. Oh, did it? Anyway, I was just explaining that uh, this this gentleman, in in many ways, shares a parallel career path with Edward Snowden. That uh, right. Uh, took off and went to Russia with classified material. And by the way, in my my once again, in my professional opinion, Snowden is no more real than Santa Claus is. And uh, this this is a typical typical uh, technique that is used by the Central Intelligence Agency to gain your confidence. That declaration all day long and it does damage them, but they failed to produce any of it. In other words, this gentleman had the opportunity to at least leak some of it to buy himself some insurance. Uh, and it would have been better for him in the long term relative to keeping his uh, his head out of the scope of, a, of a, an assassin's rifle or a pistol uh, by conspicuously and prominently making sure that that information was leaked to as many agencies as possible because killing him in the aftermath of the leak uh, would have been all well and good, but it wouldn't have prevented the leak itself. And there's no evidence that he made any attempt to disclose any of this damning information that he had about 9-11. Well, actually, there is, Dennis, but we'll discuss it on another time, okay? All right. <clears throat> so here you have some footage from 9-11 that I didn't see before, but may have been broadcast. All right, there's, right this is, uh, here we are back at the very beginning again. That's fine. So That's fine. So anyway, I'm, so anyway, I'm going to freeze it again, but... Uh, once again, as, as far as I'm concerned, I haven't, I haven't seen any compelling evidence that uh, his fundamental assertion is that uh, the aircraft components uh, that he had seen uh, were very conspicuous versus the non-existent black boxes. And uh, per that skip box that we had in, in other portions of the video that clearly shows the side of the skip box that says aircraft parts, uh, there's in there's no aircraft parts in the box. I'm sorry, I, I have to I have to make that declaration. They just don't exist there. And they if if what he says is true, that seat, seats were visible. Uh, as many people know, United Airlines uses blue seats and gray seat backs, and uh, the color scheme inside of all their jets is uniform. It's pretty much the same thing. Every now and then you'll find an aircraft that deviates a little bit, but they would have been readily discerned in that box, and there was none of it. Uh, so I'm going to have to say, I'm going to put a hand up and say, time out here, Mr. Sonnenfeld. You've not made your case that you had damning evidence about U.S. government complicity in 9-11. You know, we know it's absolutely a certified fact, uh, but so far you've not produced any reason why they would have a compelling reason to bring you back from Argentina. Well, yes, I think that's an excellent critique. I'm utterly fascinated by it. And what I'm uh, going to do is have the, the video you know, we'll have the introduction to the real deal and then the video and then this, uh, our conversation about it. I think your comparisons with, uh, Edward Snowden are, are very striking. Uh, I myself have been inclined to believe that S- Snowden was a real deal because he was releasing documents to substantiate what we only had by word of mouth in the past. But I take it you dispute that as well. Yes, everything that uh, that comes from Snowden seems to be released through uh, Glenn Greenwald, and uh, and he's very affiliated with Julian Assange, which is a Rothschild's agent. 
uh, in every way, make and form, right down to the legal counsel that represents him in court on these uh, these rape charges that he's had to endure. So we're talking about Snowden being very tightly affiliated with Rothschild's uh, uh, personnel in virtually every way. And like I said, I'll reiterate one more time so everybody understands it. Had Mr. Snowden been rooting around in U.S. government uh, uh, indices and and, uh, and files and, and network drives, there's no way on this planet that he would have been granted a priori access to everything that they have. They certainly would have seen him uh, taking looks into places where he wasn't supposed to be. He would have been arrested almost immediately for security breaches as a contractor with probably uh, uh, any one of the couple of uh, defense contractors like uh, – uh, uh, I'm trying to think of the, uh, there's two of them that are fundamentally involved with the IT services for uh, NSA. Uh, and I, uh, for some reason, I just can't uh, think of their names right now. But anyway, there's, as a contractor, he wouldn't have had access to all that material that he grabbed. And furthermore, like I said, they would have never let him get all the way to Russia with it had they known that he took it. And there's no way that he could possibly have logged into these network drives to download it into a jump stick without tripping all kinds of alarms in the network system that said, hey, we've got a guy rooting around where he shouldn't be, where he hasn't been granted access, we don't know how he's in there. But they would have arrested him immediately, and yet virtually he's been allowed to walk around free, uh, you know, uh, prancing around all over Europe, ends up in Russia, uh, when in fact if he was really a national security risk, let's get real, they would have assassinated him, they would have recovered the classified material, uh, and they would have been very bold about it. They wouldn't have pulled any punches. They would have killed them. And, uh, and they, these things continually leaked out, and they're all leaked out by Rothschild agents. So that tells me uh, front, front and center uh, that calibrated leaks are limited hangouts. They're very damaging, but uh, on the other hand, uh, that's the typical tool that intelligence agencies will use to buy your confidence in the material. And uh, as far as I can see, that he has not leaked anything that hadn't been disclosed in prior disclosures uh, from other whistleblowers about uh, things that the United States government was engaged in. And we're going back uh, a number of years before Mr. Snowden even started to touch computers, probably. So, like I said, very unlikely that he would have had such uh, unlimited access without causing bells and whistles to go off that would have caused his arrest almost immediately. Well, this is uh, fascinating, Dennis. I can't thank you enough. This is Jim Fetzer, your host on The Real Deal. Thank you, my special guest today, Dennis Camino, and all of you for watching.